Bristol, Vermont, and WNYV, Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. Good morning. This is Northern Light for this Thursday, January 11th. I'm Todd Moe. Monica Sandreski is away this week. Clinton Community College has announced plans to relocate the college's campus to SUNY Plattsburgh by fall 2025. The goal of the transition is to address CCC's financial woes, but the college's president says it's not a merger. We are Clinton Community College. The only thing that changes is our location. Two small school districts in the southern Adirondacks are taking steps towards a potential merger. Minerva and Johnsburg could become one district. The only reason to merge, number one, is is it good for students? I think you can't deny the fact that we're struggling with enrollment. We're struggling with hiring teachers and being able to provide opportunities for our students. Also, we talk with the Remington Art Museum's new director, Maggie McKenna. She's leading the iconic Ogdensburg landmark into its second century. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by Gray and Gray and Associates, CPAs, an accounting and financial services firm in northern New York, with offices in Canton, Potsdam, and Spring Hill, Florida. GrayCPAS.com. AdirondackExplorer.com and AdirondackAlmanac.com presenting daily updated news on public policy, environmental issues, and local communities in the Adirondack Park. This is Northern Light. I'm Todd Moe. Clinton Community College in Plattsburgh made a surprise announcement yesterday. It's moving its campus across town to SUNY Plattsburgh by fall 2025. Officials say CCC is dealing with deep financial woes and the alternative was to face closure. As Kara Chapman reports, it's the latest North Country college to make big changes to address deep deficits and declining enrollments. Clinton Community College has a deficit of about $850,000. Enrollment decline is a big part of that. The college went from more than 2,200 students in 2012 to less than 1,000 last academic year. CCC President Dr. John Kowal estimates that about half of those were students at local high schools taking advanced credits through the college, not full-time matriculated students. We've tried our best. I mean, people here have done tremendous work planning, trying to you know, recruit more students, plan for alternative revenues. But in the overall assessment, we're in a significantly difficult position with our finances. And that's led to a warning for CCC's accreditation status. The accreditation process ensures a college is maintaining certain standards and is financially sound. Kowal says members of the SUNY Chancellor's Office visited CCC in early November. That's when the possibility of relocating the campus and establishing shared services with another institution first came up. And the obvious uh, destination would be SUNY Plattsburgh because we have a you know close proximity and we have already have a good, very good partnership with SUNY Plattsburgh. 
The two colleges currently offer a dual admissions program and a dual degree in nursing. Kowal says the planned move comes to a head now because CCC has to submit a report to its accreditor next week. In it, the college needs to show that it's pursuing significant cost-saving measures. Kowal says if things continue as is, the college would likely be told to create a teach-out plan for its students within another year. Teach-out plans allow students to finish out their degrees at other colleges if the one they're attending ends their programs or closes altogether. Kowal says that's the last thing he'd want to have happen. That's pretty much the end of the college uh, when you hear that that requirement. So this plan is to really, in a way, in a very simple terms, to avoid that kind of catastrophic outcome. Kowal sent a memo to the college's employees about the plan early Wednesday morning. A forum for them was held Wednesday afternoon. Faculty union president Denise Coughlin, who wasn't able to attend, said she had no comment. The president of the college's other union did not return a phone call Wednesday afternoon. The plan doesn't include program cuts or realignment. Kowal says the college hasn't determined what, if any, layoffs will result from the transition. He says current students will be notified of the plan, even though it likely won't affect them. The key ones are going to be our prospective students, articulating to them, you know, what the plans are for the college and then the benefits to the students that will be accrued with this change in location. Kowal says those include more food options, a brick-and-mortar campus store, activities, and on-campus housing. The college also anticipates its tuition and fees will remain the same. Still, the plan creates big questions over the fate of CCC's buildings. The state and Clinton County have poured millions of dollars into them over the last several years. That included more than $12 million to create the Institute for Advanced Manufacturing and more than $10 million to renovate the college's academic building, formerly the Hotel Champlain. Kowal says those investments were made with good intentions, and it's really tough to walk away from them. But the, you know, the big part of this is if we didn't take this opportunity and consider this option of relocation, we would still be walking away, would be all of us would be walking away from a place that then would be vacant and there would be no Clinton Community College. He says there's a good possibility that the buildings, which are owned by Clinton County, will get repurposed. CCC isn't the only North Country college going through some big changes to try to cut costs. SUNY Potsdam plans to eliminate several degree programs. Clarkson University is reorganizing and phasing out nine majors over the next three years. Kowal emphasized that the relocation plan is not a merger of Clinton Community College and SUNY Plattsburgh. CCC will still maintain its own governance, funding, purpose, and mission. We are Clinton Community College. The only thing that changes is our location. Kowal says the next steps include working with SUNY Plattsburgh on how much space CCC will use for classrooms and other activities. He says the final plan will include input from the campus community. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio. The North Country's school population has been declining for decades, leaving empty space in buildings and fewer children in the hallways. There was a wave of mergers in the 70s and 80s. That's why we have districts like Mattered Waddington and Nord Norfolk. But in recent years, schools and their communities have strongly resisted. Bucking that trend are two small school districts in the southern Adirondacks on the border of Essex and Warren counties. As Amy Fyreisel reports, they're taking the first steps towards a potential union. Minerva Central School District has 105 students, K through 12. Johnsburg has 260. If we did merge we would still be a pretty small district. That's Johnsburg Superintendent Michael Marquica. 
there is the possibility of being too small in a, in a certain grade. Yeah, we have a couple small, you know, our kindergarten is three. And that's Candace Husson, Minerva's superintendent. Our second grade is four. Our fifth grade is five. That lends itself to its own challenges. <laughs> now, these districts have always been small, but they're getting even smaller. Johnsburg and Minerva's current enrollment is about half of what it was in the 90s and three quarters of what it was in 2010. They are hardly alone in this struggle. Statewide public enrollment data shows New York schools have been steadily losing students for decades, with rural counties showing the steepest losses. In the entire Adirondack Park, only two school districts boast over 1,000 kids. When Husson describes Minerva, she could be talking about many North Country towns. Small community, um, aging population, Lots of second homeowners, you know, not a lot of people moving into the district. She says short-term rentals and inflated house prices aren't helping either. But despite falling enrollment, mergers in the region are rare. Since 2000, there have been just a handful of them in the entire state. Husson says that's because it's hard to give up your local school. I mean, first and foremost, what you lose in a merge is your, your school and your community, your identity. And mergers are often portrayed as negative, says Marquica. Merging was always used as a threat. I remember growing up in that kind of atmosphere. And so I think that's another thing we're fighting is this merging is, is a bad thing. Minerva and Johnsburg are trying to buck that narrative. Both superintendents, who have each been in their respective districts for decades, say they feel a responsibility to do something. The only reason to merge, number one, is, is it good for students? Just so that we knew we were doing our due diligence for our community and our school. I think you can't deny the fact that we're struggling with enrollment. We're struggling with hiring teachers and being able to provide opportunities for our students. So in 2022, Johnsburg proposed that both districts conduct a feasibility study on merging. Would it save money? Will it allow them to offer more electives? What do the communities think? Hassan and Marquica have been encouraging everyone to come out to a series of public meetings. It's been hard because we don't hear much. We're having some participation in the audience from community yep. members. Some, not a lot. But that's not because people don't have opinions, says Marquica. He figures folks are waiting for the feasibility study to be finished or have already made up their minds about how they'll vote, if and when it comes to that. I would hope people would vote on students' futures, not their history. Yeah, and we just want people to, like Mike said, come out, be informed when they make their decision. They're referring to the fact that historically, lots of mergers in the North Country have died because of fears of losing identity, which Hassan understands. Sometimes it's hard to let go of us being the fighting Irish, Johnsburg being the Johnsburg Jaguars. It's hard to lose that pride. What may soften the blow here is that Johnsburg and Minerva are close neighbors. Their school buildings are just six miles apart. The goal would be to use both buildings while increasing class sizes, electives, and specialist staff. In recent memory is a merger not far up the road. In 2019, the Westport and Elizabethtown Lewis School Districts merged to become Boquette Valley Central School District. It's been a rocky transition, and that's something Marquica and Hassan say they know would come with a merger. It's not going to just be all puppies and rainbows the first year. Right, right. <laughs> Even the first five years, you know, there's, there's time. It takes time. 
Marquica is retiring soon and said that whether or not they merge, it's important to him to know that they've faced the music and not ignored declining enrollment. I want to be able to say I, along with my board, have asked the question and the community has made a decision. Either way it goes, you know, they have made a decision. If enrollments continue to drop and budgets get harder to balance, it's a decision dozens of districts may have to make in coming years. Minerva and Johnsburg are holding three public meetings on the potential merger in January. The first is on the 17th. The feasibility study should be finished in the coming months. Amy Feierisel, North Country Public Radio. A lake effect snow warning is in effect for parts of Oswego, Jefferson, and Lewis counties until early tomorrow morning. The National Weather Service is predicting heavy, wet snow with accumulations ranging from a half foot or so uh, across the Tug Hill Plateau. Lower elevation areas could see two to four inches of snow. The cities of Oswego, Watertown, Lowville are included in this uh, weather advisory. Wind gusts could also uh, reach 40 miles per hour, causing some blowing snow. The Weather Service says travel could be difficult today and into tomorrow morning. The Lewis County Sheriff's Office has issued a travel advisory in effect uh, until further notice due to high winds, slippery snow-covered roads, and low visibility. That's for Lewis County, a travel advisory in effect until further notice. And there are some schools closed uh, uh, along eastern Lake Ontario uh, today, mainly due to power outages, uh, still uh, working to get power restored after the wind, high wind storm uh, earlier this week. These schools are closed today. Belleville Henderson, Carthage, Edwards Knox, Indian River, Sackets Harbor, South Jefferson, and Watertown City Schools. They're closed. There are two-hour delays this morning at General Brown and Lyme Central School. Get more news all the time on our website at ncpr.org. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. The time is coming up on 8.15. I'm Todd Moe. Monica is back next week. Thanks for listening. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear more about uh, the need for more uh, uh, more money for the tuition assistance program in New York State. That story from Karen DeWitt. And also we'll hear from the new uh, executive director at the Remington Art Museum in Ogdensburg, Maggie McKenna. That conversation also coming up. Stay tuned. Stam cellist Beth Robinson 
Northern Light is supported by Cronin's Golf Resort, a regional destination for golf, dining, and lodging in the Southern Adirondacks. Details at Cronin'sGolfResort.com. The chairs of the higher education committees in the state legislature say New York's tuition assistance program needs to be increased. They say it no longer fulfills its mission of helping lower- and middle-class students with college expenses. Karen DeWitt reports from Albany. Assemblymember Pat Fahey and Senator Toby Stavisky chair their chamber's higher education committees. They say the popular TAP program aimed at offsetting tuition costs for lower- and middle-income students has not kept up with recent inflation. And they say other changes have also led to a decline in the value of the award. Until 2011, New York would increase the maximum TAP award to match the state's SUNY and CUNY tuition rates. Back then, tuition at the state university University of New York was just over $4,900 for in-state students and the maximum TAP award was $5,000. But that arrangement ended and in the more than a dozen years since then, SUNY tuition has risen to around $7,000 while the maximum TAP award is just around $5,600. Fahey says they'd also like to raise the family income threshold from $80,000 to $122,000. Fahey says the last time that was increased was 24 years ago. Over a quarter century, it's been about 80,000. A lot more people were in the middle class in the year 2000, 1999, 2000. A lot, 80,000 is no longer exactly middle class for many, many of our families. She says 70% of students cite rising costs as the barrier to attending college. That, along with the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision striking down affirmative action programs at higher education institutions, makes it more difficult to promote diversity on campuses, she says. Increasing TAP, revitalizing and expanding TAP will also help us make sure that in New York, this is New York, we value our diversity, we want our campuses to stay diverse, another reason to help TAP. And she says increasing the TAP award could also help reverse declining student enrollment that's led to cutbacks at SUNY campuses in Potsdam and Fredonia and the announced closure of the St. Rose campus in Fahey's district in Albany. Senate Higher Education Chair Toby Stavisky says she also wants to remedy what she calls New York State's decades of financial neglect of public colleges and universities. Disinvestment in state support had been going on for years, years upon years. As the costs went up, unfortunately, the students had to bear the cost, not the state. And the state's share Uh, of operating aid in the higher education community declined. There are also a number of bills in the Senate and Assembly to, among other things, up the number of years someone is eligible for TAP and to increase the minimum award to $1,000. SUNY Chancellor John King backs the TAP increase. He testified in support of it at an Assembly hearing last year. Senator Stavisky says she's been talking to staff at Governor Kathy Hochul's office. She says she hopes the governor will agree to the plan in the state budget this year. The state faces a $4.3 billion budget gap that the governor will have to close, so there will be more competition for funding programs this year. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt for the New York Public News Network. Adirondack Health's Stafford New Life Birthing Center will be limiting visitors 
Due to recent spikes in the flu and flu-like symptoms, the Adirondack Daily Enterprise reports visitors who can come to the center are limited to the baby's father or mother's significant others, grandparents, and siblings. Those visitors must have received their seasonal flu vaccine. Babies are one of the groups with the highest risk of complications from the flu. Adirondack Health is asking people with flu symptoms to stay away from the birth center or they'll be asked to leave if they show symptoms. Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio on this Thursday morning. I'm Todd Moe. Thank you so much for listening. Monica Sandresky will be back next week. Stay tuned. New leadership at the Remington in Ogdensburg in its second century. That conversation coming up in a moment. Also, we'll rejoin Morning Edition at 8.30 and uh, join us at 9 o'clock live from London BBC NewsHour. The Weather Service says uh, snow showers, occasional snow showers for much of the region. Some heavy lake effect snow along eastern Lake Ontario through early tomorrow morning. Several inches possible, especially on the Tug Hill Plateau. And uh, the Weather Service says highs today around 30 and winds out of the south-southwest 5 to 10 miles per hour. Right now, cloudy skies, 28 degrees here in Canton. The Frederick Remington Art Museum in Ogdensburg will welcome visitors to meet its new executive director, Maggie McKenna, this afternoon from 3 to 6. It's a free event, open to everyone. Maggie McKenna is a familiar face in the arts community in the North Country. She studied violin at the Crane School of Music in Potsdam, helped with programming at Traditional Arts in Upstate New York in Canton, and most recently led the St. Lawrence County Arts Council. Since 1923, the Remington Art Museum has been a showcase for work by Frederick Remington and many other regional artists. It regularly features art exhibits by young students and professionals. I stopped by the Remington earlier this week to talk with Maggie McKenna about leading the iconic museum into its next century. You So you have a deep background in the arts as a performing artist yourself, a violinist, but also the visual arts because you've been with the County Arts Council for, for a few years at least and now you're sort of transferring some of those skills here, right? Yeah, yeah I'm certainly a musician in my own right yeah. but and I'm not an artist, but I love art and I love culture and I love heritage and I love this community and this area and I really want to see it thrive. I've been in nonprofits since, um, actually since my child, my second child was born, so seven years ago, I started working at Tawny as a program coordinator, um, and I just realized that that's the direction I want to go in in my career, so I've been in nonprofits in program coordination and then expanded into uh, leadership within the within a few years, and the the leadership part of it, the the strategic part of it, the business part of it, um, is really where I'm able to add my skills to a, to an organization. Um, but 
having that experience with artists through Tawny and through the library and through uh, obviously the Arts Council, I think that I'm able to pull in different perspectives of different elements of art and also um, the business side of things, but also tourism, economic development, marketing and all of that that goes into running an organization. Um, I feel like that, those are the really critical parts that I'm able to bring here. But I, I want to make sure that this is an organization that is a community organization like the other ones I've worked for, but is also thinking bigger internationally, thinking about how we're bringing people that love Remington's artwork, um, bringing them here to Ogdensburg, bringing them here to St. Lawrence County and, and Thousand Islands area and whatnot, so that it, this place can really be a hub for tourism in the North Country. This is really sort of a campus because you've got three buildings that are part of the, the, the Remington Museum here, and you've got everything from fine art to, I, I don't know, I guess uh, chances for people to learn, too. There's an education center here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, education is really fundamental to our organization. Our curator, educator is really, uh, Laura Desmond is absolutely incredible and runs all sorts of wonderful educational programs to teach people about Remington's art, to teach people about art in general. That's awesome. We do have the Education Center, which is has been closed since COVID. And that's one of my uh, one of my challenges to figure out exactly what we're going to do with that building and how we're going to redevelop our educational program, really supporting young people in the area. Um, but it's really critical that we make we figure that out. <laughs> Do you come in um, thinking, okay, big changes, or do you come in sort of thinking, you know, one step at a time, and here are some ideas that I that, that I've thought through. I don't want to freak anybody out. <laughs> right. <laughs> a little balance of both, I would yeah. say. Um, there are a number of things that really need to be supported internally, like um, staff planning and staff uh, benefits and that kind of thing, just to make sure that our people are really feeling the love. So those feel like big changes, um, but the community won't see that. Um, but some of the smaller changes that are actually still pretty big. We just I just updated the admission fees this year starting January 1st. I found that our prices had increased significantly and it really decreased the access to this art. Um, I would rather see more admission numbers, number of people in here than number of dollars brought in by admission because ultimately it's more important that more people see this than we increase dollar numbers. Mm-hmm. It's That's really critical to me. So with our admission prices, um, we're actually offering a lower price for people under 30 because we want to bring in newer, younger people too to help them feel you know connected to this work and interested in the future. We're giving discounts to St. Lawrence County and Aquasasne residents and the city of Ogdensburg. Residents here are, are free are always free and we did take that away for a little bit and um, we just want to see those numbers come back up again students at OFA come down after school and come check out the museum and so we really want to make sure that they are welcome here and have that access to culture and heritage art is for everyone that it is (laughs) yeah exactly and this uh, invaluable collection should be shared with our community and with people visiting so it's really critical that we make sure that that's easily accessible. So you've got a new exhibit coming up in the next week or so with the elementary 
student art show? Yeah. Yes. So January 20th, we will have the opening for the elementary school um the elementary art exhibit and during that day it's actually pay what you wish to enter the museum throughout um the day and then it'll be free to come in during the exhibit again we want to make sure that people really feel like they can access this place and be a part of this community in our campus here and Thursday afternoon, you have a meet and greet, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. So we ha- I was actually really blessed to have a transition committee, a number of board members, and um, Laura and, uh, you know, everybody came in to train me and help me find out everything uh-huh. I need to know as I came in. Um, and they decided that it would be good to have me meet the Ogdensburg community and invite, you know, the, the people that are really connected to the museum to come in. So I'm hoping we have a number of people show up to meet me and see the museum again and we can talk about what to do with the museum moving forward because I think that um, I really want to especially as not an Ogdensburg native I really want to make sure that I understand all the implications of this place in the com- within the community how it stands and how it exists and how people think about it and how people want to see it move forward so I think those kind of community engagement opportunities are really, really important to me as I get get started here. Maggie McKenna is the new executive director of the Frederick Remington Art Museum in Ogdensburg, and you'll have a chance to meet her and talk with her this afternoon from 3 to 6 at the Remington Museum in Ogdensburg. It's free and it's open to everyone. And that's it for Northern Light for this Thursday, January 11th. Stay tuned for more news from Morning Edition. We have the Marketplace Morning Report, Bird Note, then at 9 o'clock, BBC News Hour. So stay with us. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well. <laughs>